You know that from the time we open our eyes in the morning till we drift off in sleep at night, life is full of choices. What we wear, what we eat, where we go, what we do, what we believe, how we behave. Our lives, our reputations, our relationships, our health, our values, everything is shaped by the choices we make. Life is choices. We have a choice. A choice to tell the truth or to tell a lie. We have a choice. A choice to be cruel or a choice to be kind. We have a choice to cheat or be honest. We have a choice to seek vengeance or to love. We have a choice to do the popular thing or to do the right thing. We have a choice to ignore God or to acknowledge God. Choice. That determines the person that we are. Today, you will make the most important choice of your life. Today. That choice will determine and be consequential for you for eternity. Today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're asking that you would speak to us through the ministry of your spirit. You work in our minds. You live in us by your spirit. You speak to us by your word. Your mighty angels are here to attend us. And we pray that you'd anoint us. Give us, give us a special blessing. May our minds be open to your working. And may we receive and follow your instruction. I pray and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are studying the first chapters of the book of Genesis, which is a book of beginnings. And here in these first chapters, we're uncovering foundational treasures about God and powerful truths for our lives today. We started in Genesis where it starts with creation and the creator God. And Then we looked at his created work, the Sabbath. We looked at marriage, the gift of sacred union between man and woman. We looked at Adam and Eve, formed in the image of God, in harmony with his will, with pure affections, unpolluted desires, and freedom to choose. Now, from this point, we have heard only one thing. It's good. It's very good. That's what we've heard. There's beauty. There's harmony. There's love. There's justice. There's rightness in everything and everywhere. Adam and Eve were created perfect, innocent, pure, but not beyond the possibility of doing wrong. They were, as it says in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, free moral agents capable of appreciating the wisdom and goodness of his, God's character, and the justice of his requirements. And with this, and with full liberty to yield or to withhold obedience. Now, God could have done it a different way. He could have made us like cows, okay? Or more like monkeys or cats. Can you imagine that? He could have made us without moral conscience. He could have made us without the capacity to know and choose 
between right and wrong. He could have. He could have made, a, made us like apes without the ability to contemplate justice, honesty, goodness, and peace. He could have made us like a bear that just hibernates because it has to. Or butterflies that migrate because they have to. God made us good. He made us noble. He made us honest. He made us with no bias toward evil. But he did make us with the ability to choose. And fully, completely informed us about the path of joy and peace. Genesis 2 verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God set before Adam and Eve the serious matter of obedience. And he allowed us to make a decision. I like the way Bible scholar Arthur Furch says it. The guidelines given by their divine father were few, succinct, and clear. The command, as every other divine instruction, arose from love, and, and through it, one could hear the love of the speaker like a caring parent. The Lord wanted his children to enjoy happiness, life, and joy, but he left the choice between life and death to him. Now, there was nothing arbitrary or self-serving about the boundary markers that God laid out. They were meant for good. They were meant for harmony. They were meant for peace and justice of all creation. But early in their lives, we don't know how early, we don't know how far along it was, Adam and Eve made a choice, a choice that broke their relationship with God and unleashed untold sorrow, misery, hatred, death, and devastated their family for every generation to come. Eve walked in the garden that day, her garden home, off guard, alone, presumably. She had been warned. She knew what was happening. The story of the rebellion in heaven and the fall of Lucifer was fully known. She knew of his lust to ruin their lives. She knew. And now from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, heaven's deceiver used the serpent as his tool. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in, from any tree in the garden? Now look carefully at that verse in your Bible or on the screen. You'll notice that Satan, Lucifer, the serpent, actually misrepresented God. He distorted God's instruction. I kind of like the way Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner put it. He said, it smuggles in the assumption that God's word is subject to our judgment. Think about that. 
God's word is subject to our judgment. In other words, did God really say that? That's what the serpent was saying. Did God really say that? And even if he did say that, don't you know that you really can't take his words literally? We all have our own interpretation of what he really means by what he says. You have one idea, I have another idea. And so with this, the serpent tempted Eve to doubt God's word. You've probably faced something like this, challenges from coworkers, challenges maybe from classmates, challenges from simple people, challenges from sophisticated people. Don't be detoured. Follow God's word. Obey his word. It's a lamp guiding our feet. It protects. Know it by your own study. Experience his commands for yourself and see how good they are and how his promises are always true. But Eve, she was tempted to doubt. And she was also tempted to be dissatisfied with God's will. That's really what was going on there as well. Look at the serpent's smooth words again. This is what he says, verse 1 again. Did God really say, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? In other words, Eve, Eve, come on now. God may have said that, but surely his will for you to, is to be happy. If, if God really loved you, he, he'd give you anything you want. I can't believe he would say that to you, Eve. Satan focused Eve's attention on the one thing that was outside the boundary. This was the one thing that God had said no to. That was a test, a test for Adam and Eve, a test of their obedience to his will, a submission to his word, to his commands. Have you been dissatisfied with God's will ever? Have you ever sensed in your heart that somehow you should have what you feel, that you, you should have something that not, is not coming your way? I want to ask you this morning, as we worship together, in the privacy of your mind, can you think, is the enemy, has he tempted you to believe that you can only be really happy if you have that thing? It's outside the boundary. The serpent presented it that way. He made God appear to be harsh, unfair, like, like God was withholding something good from her. And his distortion confused the issue. Genesis 2, 3, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say... You must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Notice Eve's words very carefully. Eve actually overcorrects the serpent's error and in addition to that magnifies God's strictness. She adds, she says, 
You must not touch it. God didn't say that. Bible scholar Arthur Furch offers an interesting insight on this response by Eve. This is what he says. In the original Hebrew, her, Eve, her reply to the serpent seems to indicate that she had modified God's threat. Instead of repeating the certainty with which God had stated the death penalty, her response implied that death was merely a possible event. She did not take God seriously. And by reflecting the doubt and hesitancy of the serpent, Eve played into Satan's hands. That's what happened. And Satan responds He's with a flat contradiction. You will certainly not die. So now what is it? It's the serpent's words against God's word. Who would she choose to believe? Eve became dissatisfied when God's will seemed to be contrary to hers. And the serpent focused her attention on the one thing, the only thing that was beyond the boundary. And then Eve intensified the temptation by tolerating it and by talking about it instead of dismissing it. When Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he didn't stay around and discuss it. He didn't consider it and tolerate it. He ran. And he ran and left his coat behind. The Apostle Paul similarly says that when we're tempted, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, when we're tempted, we should run from it. Let's stay around thinking about it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we should talk about it unless we're talking to God about it. That's where we can talk about it. How much better would it have been for Eve to have run back to God and asked him, what did you say, God? (laughs) Would you remind me what you said about this? I've been listening to someone who says that what you said isn't true. And by the way, I think the whole situation is really harder than I can handle. Would you mind coming with me and helping me take care of this? Can you imagine if that would have happened? Can you imagine the serpent's expression? If Eve had showed up back at the tree of knowledge of good and evil with God at her side. (laughs) But she didn't. And the temptation intensified as Eve was confronted with, first of all, doubts about God's word, dissatisfaction with God's will, and finally, a denial of God's goodness. Larry Crabb, a Christian psychologist and popular author, defines sin this way. He says, sin is our effort to supplement what we think are limits to God's goodness. It is Trusting ourself instead of trusting God. Interesting, isn't it? That is sin. And that's essentially what happened to Eve. Satan, Satan tempted her to think that God was holding out on her. That by refusing access to this tree, 
He was really withholding something good from her, something that would broaden her understanding and and expand her experience. She thought it was, he made it sound like it was something good. Genesis 3 verse 5, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, in other words, Eve, Satan implies, God is mean. God doesn't want you to enjoy life to the fullest. He's jealous. He's grasping. He's keeping the best stuff for himself. I want to ask you again, are you tempted in those lines to think that God is not completely, absolutely, unconditionally good? Have you been tempted to believe that? Is someone, is something, is some situation tempting you to think that your heavenly Father does not have your best good in mind? That he is somehow holding out on you? And if you really, really want to enjoy life and to get what you want out of life, you're going to have to get it yourself, your own way, apart from God's way. This quote from the book Patriarchs and Prophets is insightful. It says, He, Satan, insinuated that the Lord jealously desired to withhold it, the forbidden fruit, from them, lest they should be exalted to equality with himself. It was because of its wonderful properties, imparting wisdom and power, that he had prohibited them from tasting or even touching it. The tempter intimated that the divine warning was not to be actually fulfilled. It was designed merely to intimidate them. How could it be possible for them to die? Had they not eaten of the tree of life? God had been seeking to prevent them from reaching a nobler development and finding greater happiness. Interesting. Ever since that fateful moment, men and women have been tempted to believe this lie. To believe the lie that freedom from God, freedom from God's will, is real liberty and opens to us expansive knowledge. The ingredients of sin still are the same. Doubting God's love, doubting God's wisdom, doubting God's care. God is appealing to all of us today to put aside your suspicion your thought that somehow he's not interested in you he is God is reminding you he's reminding me in his word today that life true life is only found in trusting and obeying him what temptation are you tolerating what temptation are you thinking about what temptation are you touching what temptation are you toying with over the last few days the calendar on my phone has reminded me that tomorrow is my mother's birthday she's been gone for years she was snatched early way too early. 
I've already lived a couple more years than she did. Janet Darlene Ambrose. She was a good woman. She was a caring mother, a hardworking provider. But she tolerated, she touched, she toyed with something that got her, got her by the throat and strangled her to death. Some of you are playing with that too. The same thing. Some of you are. Alcohol, beer, wine, however it comes. And you're saying to yourself, oh, it's, it's a harmless pleasure. It's just a tasty condiment. It's, it's a relaxing um, thing to have in the evening. A special compliment to a fine meal. Don't be fooled. The wise man said it. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you tolerating? What are you thinking about? What are you touching? What are you toying with that you know is wrong? When the woman saw, it says in Genesis 3.6, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. There it is. The formula has been destroying ever since. She saw that the fruit was good. That's as John said, the lust of the eye. I mean, the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eyes. And she saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. In other words, appeared to bring mental enrichment, the pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. She took some and ate and gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate. And it has to be one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. So simple, the act. So hard, it's undoing. Bible scholar Derek Kidner said it memorably. Eve listened to a creature instead of the Creator. He followed, she followed her impressions against her instructions and made self-fulfillment her goal. Thus it was. And ever since Eve's faithful decision to leave the goodness, the blessing, the security, the fullness that God offers men and women have been inclined to believe the same thing. That freedom from God, that independence from God's will, somehow bring liberty, somehow bring a path of knowledge and, and an experience that is untold. But the ingredients of sin, they're still the same, still the same. Doubting God's love, doubting God's wisdom, trusting the creature rather than the creator. 
and relying upon impressions of our senses and our own desires. It's a lie. And it's a lie more infectious than any coronavirus. Eve passed the deadly virus to her husband and through them the entire human race has been infected. As Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, but, but God did not abandon. He did not abandon them and he doesn't abandon us. He could have. He could have done that. He could have left them to their ruin. That's not God. God's first recorded words to Adam and Eve to fallen humanity, to fallen humanity, have all the marks of grace. Look at them. The Lord called to man, where are you? Genesis 3, verse 9. Now, those are interesting words. He called to man, where are you? Of course God knew where man was. Why did he ask? Because God never forces. He's not trying to get information. He's trying to get a confirmation, a yes, an invitation, an invitation to restore the breach that's been created, that's always created when trust is broken, when love is broken. I want to ask you this morning, Again, as we worship together here in the sanctuary in your home, is God calling you, friend? Of course, He knows where you are. But where are you? Is He calling you? Is He saying to you, I missed you? I missed you at prayer this morning. Is He calling you? Is He saying, I missed you? I missed you in your devotional time. Oh, but you read. But God says, Your mind was absent. I miss you. Where are you? Adam replies, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is the first time fear is mentioned in the Bible. Adam and Eve were afraid. Afraid because they were embarrassed. And they tried to hide their nakedness from God. Now, the cause of their embarrassment wasn't their nakedness, and they didn't realize that. The cause of their embarrassment was their disobedience. It's just like we so often do, so they did. We do the same thing. We confuse sin with its results. And we mourn what happens because we get caught, And we're more sorry about that than the root of the character flaw that caused it. God focuses on the root. He says in chapter 3, verse 11, the last part of it, Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And we all know his words before he confesses his fault, and he does. But first, Adam blames his wife and accuses God. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from, these, from the tree and I ate it. Notice, Adam shifts the responsibility first from himself to God, the woman that you gave me, and then to his partner. You shouldn't have given me such a 
tempting partner, God. And Eve does the same thing. She points her guilty finger at the serpent before admitting her own. You know, I have to just tell you, I too often do the same thing. Maybe you see it in yourself as well. I'm really good at finding something or someone else to blame for my behavior. I blame my upbringing. I blame the weather. Sometimes I, sometimes I blame you. I blame the pressures of my job. I blame the government. I blame... I even blame my wife. And anything else that I can use to excuse my sin. This account of the fall casts a shadow over all of Scripture. The Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, testifies to the same. Humanity is in bondage. Bondage to sin. But the New Testament, the New Testament unmasks the figure of Satan that is behind the serpent. And and it declares the utter helplessness of our situation because we are sinners and celebrates the good news. The good news that God's love has found a way. God's love has found a way that God would rescue, that his mercy would spare, and at the same time affirm his justice. Hear the word of the Lord through God's work of redemption. Listen to it. And I have to say, Laura, thank you so much for bringing our minds to the book of Revelation, that, that song, Revelation song. Here is a part of it. Chapter 12. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And then heaven erupts with a cry. Another song. Now have come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. Can you say amen to that? We have triumph in Jesus Christ. We have victory in God's grace and mercy and power. Now, how did that all happen? (laughs) In the counsels of God, in heaven long before sin ever showed its ugly head, there was a plan devised that would save us. Save us and exonerate God. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, would share our humanity. He would come to earth as flesh and blood. As Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. This is the victory that God anticipated that was anticipated, I should say, in the sentence that God uses upon the serpent in the garden. Look at his words, Genesis three fifteen. God speaking, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, who's that he? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Yes, there's going to be a battle. Yes, there's a a fight. But that he, Jesus Christ, will deal a crushing blow to Satan. And then God says, I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and between me, God. And that enmity is like an act of grace. In other words, God, by his mercy, placed within the heart of every human being this hostility towards sin, this sense of right and what's wrong. God put that in our hearts. Yes, there's a great controversy going on right now, a controversy that began in Eden and rages today and rages in the heart of every one of us. Just like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, for my inner being, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. Do you see that going on in you? The struggle between right and wrong and good and bad. But Paul doesn't give up in despair because of Jesus Christ's victory over sin, his life, his death, his resurrection. Although sin is a powerful force in this world, in my life, in your life, it does not have dominating control because God has won the victory. Can I hear an amen? God has won the victory in Jesus Christ. And Paul shouts this truth in the next verse, Romans 7, 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am. Can you say that? Say it with me. What a wretched man. If you're a woman, say, say it with me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Say it with me now, huh? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Say it again. Thanks be to God, right? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Satan, in his temptation of Adam and Eve, thought he had defeated God, thought he had defeated God's purpose, but he failed to realize one thing, the depth to which God's love and grace would go to save Failed to realize it. Satan's self-centered mind couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine that God would commit the fullness of his divine nature to bring us back. Satan couldn't imagine it. Satan, who always seeks his own preeminence, could not envision that the creator of the universe would lay down his own life to atone for our sin. He couldn't imagine it. That's what God chose to do for you and for me. And now he's reaching out to you and to me. He's reaching out to you and me, a restoring hand, a loving hand, a reconciling hand. But he's never going to force you. He's never going to make you but he invites you. He's inviting you now. The biggest choice you'll ever make in your life this morning, 
right now. Choose him. Choose him. Now, Adam and Eve had the right idea (laughs) when they took fig leaves and tried to cover themselves. They had the right idea. They needed a covering, something to go over their sinfulness, their guilt, their shame. But fig leaves, that's woefully inadequate. (laughs) That won't work. You know what? Our excuses, our denials are woefully inadequate as well. Just won't work. But God provides. He provides forgiveness through his blood. Isn't it time that you stopped, that I stopped clutching fig leaves and turned to him? Choose him? You can receive his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy for your own sinfulness by claiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and soon coming King. Would you do that with me this morning? If you're here in the sanctuary, if you're watching by Blue Mountain TV, live streaming, would you do that with me this morning? That's the biggest choice, the most important choice you'll ever make right now, right today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to you for giving us a choice, for paving the way so that we did not have to be destroyed by our own devices, by our own doing. You made a way for us, a way of grace, a way of mercy, a way of hope and forgiveness. And this morning, we hear worshiping you in this place or in other places all around College Place, Walla Walla, and the world. We hear your voice calling to us and we're making a choice. We're saying to you this morning, I choose you, God. I choose you as my Savior, my Lord. Forgive me for all my fault. Forgive me for all my mistakes, all my misdoings. Come into my heart. Make it your home. Live there forever. May you reign supreme until you return. And may you get all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.